0: A 767, operated by Nicky Lauda's airline, Lauda Air, is on its last leg of a three-leg flight to Vienna. How did a thrust reverser cause this flight to go catastrophically wrong? Welcome back to the Landings Podcast, everybody. For episode 26, I'm Nick.
1: I'm Miranda. I'm Christy. And we have our friend.
0: I'm sorry.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Brendan!
0: I was not prepared. I'm sorry is not a name.
2: (laughs) This is Brendan. We've talked about him several times.
3: Hello, everyone. (laughs) This is
2: also
1: the show that Brendan likes to call Miranda Gets Mad at History.
3: I mean, it's true. It is true.
1: I I read someone's comment on our Facebook the other day that that said that they liked it. And I was like, (laughs) well, guess what? You get to have more. That's just the way I
0: am. I don't think this one will make you as mad, but that's okay.
1: No, because it's It's a mechanical failure. We've been doing a lot of pilot error. We have
0: been doing a lot of pilot error. Mostly because they're all recommended ones. Brendan's here because he's bored. I am very bored.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: We're all stuck inside uh, here in Colorado. This by the way you hear this 2 weeks after we've recorded it. So today is currently March 29th. 29th. And so we are all we've gotten the shut in order where we all have to stay home unless we have something we have to do, but all of us are getting really tired of being at home. Except Nick and Christy don't have to stay home, but we still I, have to work. I have, and we're getting yelled at for it. Working from home,
0: so
2: fun stuff. Okay,
0: Brendan is Brendan is also a teacher, just like Miranda does the music teaching. Would you like to talk more about yourself? I think you basically covered it. Cool. cool. He's an aviation nut just like me. Oh, yeah.
3: That, too. Big time. Big time. We
0: already started recording another podcast that will probably eventually come to light. Yeah, we should we should work on that. We will work on that. We might have more time to work on that now. If these two... <laughs> Might?
2: There is no might. <laughs> if these two go off on a tangent, I'm going to cut it off. Fair enough. Save it for happen. the
1: post-episode. Okay. Nick, what are we covering today?
0: Okay, so today we are covering Lauda Air Flight 004. This flight took place on May 26th of 1991. It was a 767-300ER, or Extended Range, with...
1: What does Extended Range mean?
0: Has more fuel capacity. Oh, okay. It can go further. With a tail number of Quebec Echo-Lima Alpha Victor. So this airplane was delivered less than two years before this incident, and at the time of the incident, it only had 7,444 hours on it. So it was relatively new for an airliner. It was scheduled to fly from Hong Kong to Bangkok to Vienna, and on the leg of the flight we will be talking about, it is from Bangkok to Vienna. The captain was Thomas John Welch. He was 48 years old. He had 11,750 hours from the United States.
2: Yep. He's American. He was. Why was he flying an Austrian airline? Yeah.
0: That's where he wanted to work. I
1: have no idea. Okay. (laughs) That's where
0: he found work, so good for him.
1: I mean, yeah. I mean,
0: Vienna isn't the worst place in the world to live and work, I guess.
1: I've heard it's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, we wouldn't know or can know at the moment.
0: Could have been a pay raise. Could have been a pay raise.
1: Oh, yeah, you're probably right.
0: The first officer was Josef Turner, Turmer, something like that. Turner? I don't something know. like that. He was 41 years old. He had 6,500 hours, and he was from Austria. Lauda Air er is from Austria, in case you haven't figured that out. So Lauda Air was started by the very famous Formula One driver, Niki Lauda, who during the 70s was a very, very prominent Formula One driver from Austria. And he won three titles, three championships in Formula One, but he also had a really bad accident in Formula One where he was severely burned. And he lived and went on to race the rest of that season. He only missed two races, which is pretty, pretty incredible, actually. But after he was done with racing, he decided to start an airline. He thought that was the way to go. He was like, you know, next thing for me in my life is to fly things. To lose lots of money To lose. An airline. <laughs> to lose <laughs> lots of money. <laughs> to be honest, he is a, a brilliant person. He is a brilliant person. He is a very driven person, that's for sure.
2: Some of you may know him. A movie came out in 2013 called Rush about him. He was played by... Daniel Bruhl, and the other main character was played by Chris Hemsworth. Ah.
0: Yeah. and Hemsworth. Yes. <laughs> and it's a very, very good movie, actually.
2: I haven't seen it, so I can't speak we to it.
0: We will that. watch it sometime.
2: Okay. I've, I think I've I, seen
0: it. It's I been a while,
2: but I've seen it.
0: I really love that movie. It's actually a really good movie. But in any case, so he went on to start an airline, and he was even a pilot for the airline, actually. He was rated on the 767 and everything. He had flown this route before.
2: He had actually flown with the first officer before.
0: Yeah. So this flight departed Bangkok at 11.02 p.m., and they were on climb-out and about 5 minutes and 45 seconds after takeoff. The crew was alerted to an issue with the thrust reverser. It was the thrust reverser isolation valve. They got a warning on one of their displays. For the next four and a half minutes, the crew discussed the issue, including reading the quick reference handbook, which helped them determine that there were no actions required on their part. A quick reference handbook read: Additional system failures may cause the in-flight deployment of the thrust reverser, and may limit its use on landing. However, it said that they did not; it would not keep them from flying the airplane.
1: Isn't there an issue if a f- thrust reverser comes on?
0: So generally, if one the the at the time, what they were basically telling pilots was: If one deploys, you should still be able to fly the airplane, and you might want to divert somewhere to land to have it looked at. But it shouldn't keep you from flying the airplane. It is not an emergency situation.
2: It's actually one of the requirements to be certified as a plane, that you can recover from that.
0: 10 minutes and 20 seconds into the flight, the first officer advised the captain, or the pilot flying, that the airplane needed some rudder trim to the left, which the captain acknowledged. 15 minutes and one second into the flight, the first officer states, ah, reversers deployed. The airplane then began to shudder and shake and had a heavy left turn into a nosedive. 29 seconds later, the airplane broke up in midair, and it fell into a mountainous area three miles north-northeast of a small village in Thailand, or about 110 miles northwest of Bangkok.
1: So I remember a little bit from the air disasters episode. I don't remember exactly what happens, but I do remember that Lauda does come out to see the crash himself, doesn't he? He does. I'll he, get into that.
0: He does, and he doesn't just do that, he's very involved. Like That's he all is I in remember. everything <laughs> in his life. Like he is in everything in his life, to be honest. He is a very involved person. Which good for him. He actually just passed away about a year ago. So the wreckage was at about six hundred meters above sea level, give or take. Most of the wreckage was found in a one square kilometer area, while some components were found almost two thousand meters away from that because it broke up in flight. The jet fuel was ignited as the aircraft was falling, as the tanks were ripped open by the forces of the aircraft traveling at nearly the speed of sound, and a large fire raged for nearly six hours, including the forest around it. It was located in an area that made it very difficult for rescuers and fire crews to deal with the inferno. Much of the airplane was difficult to recognize after the fires were put out, but looters were there to quickly search through the wreckage and try to find people's personal items to take away from them. They also took away pieces of the airplane.
1: We've already gone over this. Do not do that. Don't Never do that. Never do that. You can get in big trouble doing that.
0: Well, it was very Plus difficult to make a few dollars off of it. Well, and that's just <laughs> it. Because somebody did. Nobody survived the crash. All 213 passengers and 10 crew perished from this accident. That's all I have. It's quick, okay. quick. It is nice and quick. This one was. This one's pretty simple. There's not much more to go on.
2: Okay. The unique circumstances of this crash, with it being, as I don't know if you mentioned, the first crash of the 767. You are correct. Oh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yep. Yep. an American-made plane, as well as the airline belonging to Niki Lauda, it brought some interesting players to the investigation, namely the United States National Transportation and Safety Board, or NTSB, Boeing, and Niki Lauda himself. The black boxes were both recovered, despite the looting, but they were badly burned and both were sent to the NTSB labs in Washington, D.C. for an attempt to retrieve the data. In reviewing the passenger list, as well as the nature of the crash, the very first suspicion was that some kind of terrorism or other form of sabotage was involved. The plane had an advisor to the United Nations Drug Control Program on board. He was helping the Thai people deal with a heroin trafficking problem, so he may have been a target. This theory was ultimately ruled out, though, when all tests for explosives came back negative and there was no outward metal bending from the cargo area, also known as pedaling. and that would have been where a bomb was placed, logically.
0: Yeah, usually there's like an impact outward on the metal yep. wherever there is a bomb.
2: There was also no scorch marks. Nicky Lauda swore, in this instance, that if the crash was the fault of the airline in any way, maintenance, pilot, or otherwise, he would immediately resign. So he was also very committed to finding the source of this crash. Days after the crash, both of the engines were still not found. They were eventually found deep in the jungle, and engine one on the left side was found in a deeply disturbing setting. The thrust reverser was fully deployed. Nick, do you want to explain the thrust reversers a little bit for our ex- listeners? I can explain Wait, a little is this- unless... Is this the bucket kind or the one that
1: goes... This is boom.
0: not a bucket kind. But yeah, the, so this, in this case, the thrust reverser is not a bucket kind. so It's it a doesn't,
2: cold stream.
1: Right.
0: It doesn't open like a clamshell. It's a cold stream. So it actually, the, the rear side of the cowling actually just moves backward. And what it does is, it's not that the air reverses directions per se, because it, it doesn't go then forward. It just goes from a rearward direction to perpendicular to that. So it goes, it goes out. It goes out away from the engines and that creates a wall of air in front of the wings to slow the airplane down it stops the airplane from creating lift on landing on landing that is never to be deployed in flight
2: it should only be deployed after landing as we discussed a little bit in TAM3054
0: right it is a a way it is one of several functions of the airplane to slow down upon landing
2: This deployed setting on the engines immediately sent everyone in the aviation industry into a spiral of questions. How could this happen? Even if it did happen, it shouldn't cause an accident, right? But what if it can? In designing this plane, Boeing had implemented several safeguards to prevent the accidental in-flight deployment of thrust reversers. I'll get into that in a little while, though. The plane was also certified by the FAA under the pretense from in-flight testing that the plane would still be controllable if a thrust reverser did deploy in flight. The testing proved that the plane would lose up to 10% of lift over the one wing, and there would be a lot of noise and vibration, but it would be controllable and was therefore certified.
3: Wait, when they did
0: the test, did they actually fly the aircraft? Yeah, yes.
3: That's what I was going yeah, to say. Yeah,
0: they actually like, did. was it
3: on the ground as or
0: was a, it
1: in the air? And
0: as a matter of fact, one of the investigators on this accident was, was in on the that test flight. test flight. That's unfortunate. Isn't it? <laughs>
2: But that's part of why he was involved in the investigation.
0: So it was even more puzzling for him. He's like, I was there. I watched it happen. I know this thing can fly.
2: So what happened? Was there something else wrong with the plane? I'll get into it. Oh, good. <laughs> well, investigators thought, let's have a look at the flight data recorder to see what the effects were. Oh, wait. No. <laughs> the FDR was too badly burned and absolutely no data was
0: retrievable. That's awesome. One of the f- that's one of the first times that's ever happened to us on this podcast. Yes.
2: And... We looked a little bit into this in the report, and the minimum requirements for an FDR is that it should be able to withstand 1100 degrees Celsius, over 50% of the recorder, for 30 minutes. As Nick mentioned, this fire burned for 6 to 12 hours, and completely covered the recorder.
3: Yep. So I guess that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it pretty well burned.
2: It it was toast.
0: It was was more than a little toasty.
2: (laughs) Um, one thing that is depicted in the air disasters episode, though, that we did not I guess we didn't really cover is the tail did fall away from the plane, which might then lead you to question where the black boxes were, because the tail did not burn. But we asked someone that we know who works on 767s for an airline, and he specifically answered us and said they're in the aft galley in the ceiling, Yep. which did burn.
0: Right. So okay. That stayed attached to the airplane. It was everything rear of the plane. Rear bulkhead, so the back wall of the airplane behind the galley, the rear pressure bulkhead, everything behind that fell apart.
2: The cockpit voice recorder, on the other hand, survived miraculously. The first few minutes of the flight were pretty normal until an audible warning sound came on, to which the first officer swore. The captain said, that keeps coming on. The first officer said that the quick reference handbook said additional system failures may cause an in-flight deployment expect normal reverse operation after landing the first officer then asked if he should ask the ground staff to which the captain said what shall i ask the the technical men the, the technical, technical men, men. <laughs> so the captain responded oh you can tell them about it just it's 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 just uh no uh it's probably um moisture or something because it's not it's not just on, it's coming on and off.
0: Very decisive. (laughs) Super decisive. This guy is, like, on point.
2: The first officer then said, yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That guy is decisive.
2: (laughs) The captain said, but oh, you know, it's, uh, it really, it doesn't really, it's just an advisory thing. Five minutes later, there were audible sounds of loud vibration. The captain swearing an overall loss of control. There was a lot of bangs and snaps and the first officer remained silent for the duration of the flight, and then 22 seconds after the beginning of all the loud sounds the cbr ended with the breakup assumedly yep that got real dark real quick sorry in lieu of the fdr ntsb investigators wanted to see if there was another way to retrieve the flight data to which you might ask wait there's another way apparently several.
0: it turns out i didn't
2: know that prior to this yes if they were lucky maybe the electronic engine control unit or eec was still retrievable This particular unit records internal memory of things like airspeed, altitude, though it does not have the time indication, so they had to find a way to sync it. And in this case, they were lucky. The data showed the thrust reverser did deploy, and the engines were drawn back to idle, and fuel was cut off all in an attempt to stop air from going out the thrust reverser. But the data also showed a long and fast dive at almost the speed of sound, a speed that for sure tore tore the plane apart as the aerodynamic loading was just too much. Wait, what? So it was going at 0.99 Mach speed.
1: Well, I understand that. I don't understand why they pull both uh, oh. engines to idle. Not
2: both engines. Just that one engine. Oh, um,
1: it made and that sound
2: like both. That's actually what you're supposed to do during an accidental deployment. You're supposed to pull back the engine to idle. Okay. Because then you're not having as much air disrupting flow over the wing. You made it sound like both engines.
0: Sorry. I do believe and I was he like,
2: might... of course they fell out of the air.
0: <laughs> well, I believe he might have pulled both of them back, but that was by the point they were already in a nosedive.
2: I don't remember. I might be wrong. I'm sorry.
0: I think he pulled them both back. But they were already in a nosedive at that point. He knew the thrust reverser was gone, so he definitely wanted to bring that one back to idle. But because they were suddenly falling.
2: Yep. It was unrecoverable, and I will get into why it was. At this point, Niki Lauda confronted Boeing at their facility in Seattle, demanding how this could have happened. How was the 767 certified if this is what happens when a thrust reverser is accidentally deployed? Rather than jumping in a plane and trying to replicate the circumstances of the accident, Lauda and Boeing jumped into one of Boeing's simulators and flew up to the same altitude and speed as the accident flight. They found that there was not enough time to execute a recovery in these circumstances. After running a bunch of simulations, the Accident Investigation Commission of the Government of Thailand, the Austrian-accredited representative and his advisors, the NTSB, the FAA, and Boeing all met in Seattle to review the results. It was determined that in order to make a full recovery, the flight crew would have had to take full corrective action within four to six seconds of reverser deployment at that altitude and speed.
0: Which is not enough time for a human being to find out what's going on.
2: Nope. We've talked about that before. If
1: you ever like really need to know how bad that is, watch our Colgan Air video. That's episode four. Watch the video we have on the website for Colgan Air. That was like, what, 12 seconds? Like, it was like ridiculously fast. Yeah,
0: from the moment they lost control to the moment of impact. Yeah, so four to six fast.
1: seconds is literally that, that, that's no, that's nothing.
0: Yeah, yeah, people don't have enough time to think and react.
2: So how the heck was this plane certified? Quote, the FAA states it was their policy to require continued safe flight and landing through a flight demonstration of an in-flight reversal, end quote. It was also historically required that the engine be brought to idle whenever the reverser was deployed, a condition implemented as early as the DC-10, L-1011, and 747-100. This was done by the crew. But the test flight demonstration was performed at half the speed and half the altitude that Flight 4 was at when the reverser deployed. The test was performed this way because it was thought that the low altitude and low speed would be when you would lose, when you would most lose control, Which, in a way, kind of makes sense.
0: It's the most dangerous point, because you're really close to the ground. You have a lot less time to react, quote-unquote. You have a
2: lot less air going over your wing. But it turns out that the high speed and altitude actually led to a greater loss of lift over the wing because of the lower air density, and and you also have more air going over the wing because of your speed. So it's more catastrophic when a thrust reverser is deployed. Right. Now... A question that might have been bugging you is how exactly the reverser deployed in the first place. The thrust reverser can only open if two valves in a series allow hydraulic fluid in at the same time, so failure would require two valve failures. These two valves are the directional control valve and the hydraulic isolation valve. The hydraulic isolation valve was the one that had the warning on it in the cockpit earlier, so we already knew it had a problem, but what about the other one? Well... Before they could test the directional control valve, they had to find it first. Turns out, because it was made with a gold-colored outside... Someone took it. Someone took it. Yeah. And sold it. No!
0: They didn't sell it.
2: They just took it. So to get it back from whoever took it, investigators posted flyers everywhere offering a reward. <laughs> Psych. <laughs> so,
0: so hypothetically, they did sell it, but they sold it to investigators. Yep. So...
2: Nine months after the crash.
0: Cha-ching. Cha-ching.
2: However... Don't steal stuff from a crash. It was also clearly tampered with, so they couldn't use it. Yep. Awesome. But that's fine. They were still able to try to perform tests to determine what could cause two of these valves to fail at the same time. They tested as many things as they could think of. Contaminated hydraulic fluid, bad O-rings, whatever. But all of these only failed one valve, not both. That is, until they tested the cables. The FAA and NTSB investigators found that a short could have opened both of the valves because the cables for the two are actually bundled together. So a short could have occurred in both cables. Awesome. This theory is supported by the fact that the reverser isolation indication was coming on intermittently rather than staying on. Unfortunately, the physical wiring in the plane was too damaged to say for sure, but that was the most probable theory and therefore accepted as cause. Now for the bonus feature that was not depicted in the air disasters episode. Testing at Boeing actually found that if there was contamination of the directional control valve's pitot valve, it would increase pressure to the deploy side of the valve and could cause the reverser to deploy if the hydraulic isolation valve was already open, but this hinged on that valve already being open.
0: So one of them would have had to, have had to have already failed, or just been open, I guess. And then the other one—it's kind of a be a really unlikely situation, but
2: they basically they knew it didn't happen in this plane, but it could happen on others. So they issued an AD or a airworthiness directive to deactivate thrust reversers in all seven six sevens until a fix was implemented.
0: Cool. Sounds fair enough. Yeah.
2: Breakity break. Breakity
1: break it a break. Break it a break.
0: So, findings. So, there were a handful of findings, and I anti-de-uncomplicated these a bit. I'm sorry, can you run that by me one more time?
3: Anti-de-uncomplicated. <laughs> In other words,
0: I simplified them for you. Made you made it more simple. Okay. <laughs> I simplified them gotcha. for you.
2: It's their term, not mine. I hold no responsibility.
0: I anti-de-uncomplicated this for you. So, they found... That the evidence found at the crash site showed that the left engine thrust reverser was deployed. Wow. (laughs)
3: Good job!
0: (laughs) No way. Yeah.
3: (laughs) I should have been paying attention to the last (laughs) one. Wow. Sorry, we can continue. (laughs) Okay.
0: (laughs) They found that the examination of the computer memory in the EEC, like we talked about, uh, indicated that the engine was at climb power when the reverser deployed... The engine thrust was then reduced to idle. The recorded Mach increased from 0.79 to 0.99, so they were so close to the speed of sound, because it was at 0.99, after the deployment, that was. The actual maximum speed reached is unknown due to the uncertainties.
2: Basically because it wasn't a flight data recorder.
0: So I work in calibration and stuff, and if you know anything about uncertainties, that's just what's basically built into any number given in space. So... For anything, say you have a ruler, and a ruler says it's twelve inches long. Well, an uncertainty is plus plus or minus, minus plus or minus x amount, given manufacturing defects and this and that. There's so many different little things that can cause uncertainties. So same thing here: the instrument, the pitot tube, the recording data. All these things could lead to uncertainties, meaning that the airplane might have been traveling. Faster or slower than that.
2: Well, coupled with the fact that that control unit was not designed to hold the same level of precision as, say, the flight data recorder. Right,
0: and it was also not designed to go over the speed of sound, so... That, too. They found that the scatter of wreckage indicated that the airplane broke up in flight at a low altitude and a steep descent angle. They found out it was about 10,000 feet when it broke apart, coming from about 28,000. They found that no indication of an in-flight fire existed prior to the breakup of the airplane... They found that the examination of the wreckage showed no evidence of damage from a hostile act inside or outside of the airplane. They found that simulations of 25% lift loss resulting from an in-flight deployment of the left reverser indicated that the recovery was impossible and uncontrollable.
2: Oh yeah, I forgot to mention it. It lost 25% of lift over the wing. Not
0: yep. 10. Yeah, 25% total is what they, they found in simulations. They found that some questions remained unanswered after the effects of a thrust reverser deployment at a high Mach speed. So in other words, they really didn't know at that speed or, or higher what a thrust reverser would actually do. They really, they still don't. And there's quite a few answers they, they still don't have. Like, how does it affect shutter? How does it affect lift over the other wing? How does it affect, you know, there's so many things they're, they're just unsure of at that kind of speed.
1: Well, and they probably won't do a flight test because uh, that's incredibly no. dangerous. Well,
2: they did on the DC-8. Yeah. Part of the reason that they did it was to try to answer a little bit of this question. And they determined a lot of it is based on the engine placement. Yeah. So some engines are placed further back from the leading edge of the wing. So it doesn't interrupt airflow over the wing as much. But some are further forward and some are bigger. So. Right. Planes like the 767 or the 777, it's more catastrophic than, say, a 747. Right,
0: and it would have been more catastrophic than a DC-8 even, because actually the engine was low mounted closer to the wing and further forward. than on the DC-8+, plus. it was only two engines that are bigger, not four smaller engines. Yep. And it was NASA that did that test with the DC-8, actually. They found that the FAA certification require that the airplane maintain safe flight and landing under any possible position of the thrust reverser, but the wind tunnel and the flight tests were done at a low altitude and slower speeds. The simulation showed that the 25% loss of lift would only be controllable with full rudder and full flight control column inputs within four to six seconds of deployment. So the FAA certification just wasn't enough, basically, to prove that it would have been controllable. The FAA certification that they ran on the 767 had them do it, prove that they could do it at any thrust lever setting. So full... Low, middle, you know, anywhere. It could, If it was deployed, it would have been controllable. But they did that at a low altitude and at lower speeds. They found that the investigation showed that a hot short condition can cause an in-flight deployment, though no specific short could be identified in the wreckage that would prove this was what happened on the airplane.
2: There was just too much damage.
0: Yep. Also, they found that testing identified some hydraulic system failures that could cause the in-flight deployment, but there were no proven component failures on the Saxon aircraft and they also found that there was no maintenance error likely involved as a factor of this of this accident
2: so Niki lauda did not have to resign
0: nope they were doing what they were supposed to do
2: but didn't they go bankrupt
0: 9 years later
2: yeah yeah
1: i i remember that from he, the air disasters episode
0: he managed to buy another 767 used in paris mm-hmm. like months just a couple months or a couple weeks or something like that after this accident just to replace the airplane so that at least they could still fly but yeah they only lasted for another nine years and they did eventually go under he actually started another airline about two years ago or something like that i'm about to ask is that the new that was the newer airline yeah the new loud emotion which i think has already been bought by another airline but they've opted to keep loud emotion for the time being so
2: ah. Nicky lauda had three championships and three airlines there was another one oh. called Nicky.
0: Oh, I know Nikki. I didn't realize that was his. They had gray. They had a fly on as part of their logo. So
2: they merged into Lauda in December 2017. Got it. And then Lauda became a subsidiary of Ryanair Holdings in 2018. The probable cause verbatim... The Accident Investigation Committee of the Government of Thailand determines the probable cause of this accident to be uncommanded in-flight deployment of the left-engine thrust reverser, which resulted in a loss of flight path control. The specific cause of the thrust reverser deployment has not been positively identified.
0: Yeah, that's pretty much what I said.
2: (laughs) But in the report, they're pretty much like, yeah, it was a short.
0: Yeah, Uh, they're like 99% sure that's what happened.
2: They just can't confirm it because of damage, but yep. it is safely assumed to be a short.
0: Which is unfortunate. So, this led to only two recommendations, by the way, uh, per the report, that is. Not that either one of them are unimportant, because they both are. Both recommendations were aimed at the FAA. They recommended that the FAA require further safeguards for reverser deployments when certifying new aircraft and require fixes for current aircraft. That's- they recommended that the FAA require further standards for protection of recording equipment in the event of prolonged thermal exposure. So in other words, the the, the FDR Burned. Uh, not burning over all that time. It's a good fix. I'm not sure they ever did anything about that one, but I do know. I don't know, know if
2: there's anything you can do. Not. Yeah, I there's not much. I don't know. 1,100 degrees Celsius is, is not
0: Yeah, that's pretty cold. significant. Um, for
2: 30 minutes. I yes. mean, the it's fact like... that it can survive that for 30 minutes.
0: So I don't know that they did anything about the FDR, but what I do know is that they did fix the reversers, and they did add locks to them.
2: Yes, on the inside of the cowling.
0: That's all I have for recommendations. This one was pretty cut and dry. I mean, Lauda being involved as involved as he was, he put so much pressure on so many different parts of the industry that he was like, this is gonna get fixed. That's good. I like that. Yeah, At least me too.
1: something was done. Oh, right? absolutely.
0: And immediately after this, it wasn't just the 767s that fixed this problem. Any airplane that was modern and running this type of reverser had this fixed. They had the fix put in place. The lock. The locks. The physical locks that hold them in place. Only smart, if you ask me.
1: Yeah, it's pretty smart. Yep. Since, you know, this is pretty bad. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. I have never gotten to ride on an airplane with a bucket reverser, but you did. You want me to tell a story? Yeah, tell the story.
3: So. Oh, boy. I can't. Where, where, it was in Hawaii. I can't remember the two islands. You were in Hawaii? He
0: yeah. was in Hawaii.
2: When was
1: this? Young. What it was age like were third you? Third grade. Oh, wow. got to fly on uh, an
0: okay. airplane that we will probably never get to fly on unless we go to Canada.
1: Canada. Okay.
3: So, we we went to Hawaii when I was, uh, what, third grade? I was like, what, eight years old? Something like that? Yeah, mm-hmm. eight, nine years old. Um. So.
2: It says the elementary school teacher.
1: <laughs> Believe me, I know.
3: So we got we landed in Honolulu, the main airport in Hawaii, and then we were going to Kauai on Maui. Uh, so we were flying on Hawaiian Islands at that time. They were flying the seven hundred and thirty seven two hundred. Yeah. So I was sitting just behind the wing, and we landed in Kauai, and the reverse thruster came up, and you know the 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 seven hundred and thirty seven two hundred engines are the long yeah cigar the cigars <laughs> engines, yeah. and I I like, guess you could see the back of the engine behind the wing and the clamshell reverser came on and I thought oh god the airplane's falling apart. It <laughs> 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 was so quick and I'm well, like yeah. oh my god oh then I saw that they were stopping the airplane.
0: So. Yep. Yep. That was just the bucket reversers on it. Yeah, that's the the JT8D. And actually I have been on one before that had those, but you can't see them. It's an MD80. Right, right. And they're mounted at the rear. The JT8D was so widely used by so many airplanes at the time, the DC-9, the 737, eventually is used upgraded versions of it basically on the MD80 and such and they're all basically the same thing. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's a really weird thing to see. So many things happen. It literally just like bucket's wide open. They still have them on many uh private and business oh, yeah. type airplanes oh, yeah. those bucket reversers. You can
1: look it up on YouTube too.
0: Even yeah. on like the um by 145. Oh, yeah, that's right. They do have them on the 145. Yeah, but they they're do? kind of almost sleek, internal. Though. They are pretty sleek. They're kind of almost internal. They they Got just it. pop up. That's all. But
2: So this was not the first incident of the 767. Oh, I'm sure it not. It was the first haul loss? It was the first fatal crash. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. The 767's first incident was Air Canada Flight 143.
0: Oh, yeah. That's the one where they ran out of fuel. The Gimli Glider. It
2: was the Gimli yeah. Glider. Yeah. We'll cover that one day.
0: We will. That one was actually kind of just funny. More I than anything. that
3: plane still flies.
0: It did. It has finally been scrapped. Oh dang it. You can buy pieces of it, actually, um, as an airport tag. You know, the little little tags you put on your luggage and right, stuff? Right, right. They make those out of airplanes now. The gimbal Glider was one of them.
2: I hate that I knew that.
0: Why? Because of great. you. It's great. It's great. This
3: is why the American system of measurement is far superior.
2: <laughs>
1: Let's not Let's get it. Because, <laughs> first of
2: all, you're wrong.
3: Um, it's much easier to calculate
0: 5,820 5, feet per... 5,280 feet? <laughs> well, the altitude's getting to me. <laughs> you live at 5,280 feet.
3: <laughs> We're actually
2: higher than that, right?
0: We now. are, but point is... You live in the Mile High City. See, Come on. it's
3: far superior than the metric system. I don't need to know that there's a thousand meters in a kilometer,
0: but you do.
1: <laughs> but that's so much easier.
0: How many centimeters are in a meter? Centi. I know the answer. <laughs> How many inches are in a yard? I don't. know. Thirty-six. Thirty-six. How many inches are in a meter?
3: 38.2 <laughs> something, something like that. that yeah. <laughs> I'll get to look it up. Oh! 39.
0: Oh 39. Oh dang it all.
3: All right.
1: This was Lauda 004. 004. I hope you guys have a good rest of your week. Uh we're slowly <laughs> driving ourselves crazy here, so
3: <laughs> I was doing pretty well for like 2 weeks. Yeah, I
0: was amazed you got by 2 weeks. I would yeah, ask Yeah, you got like...
2: to today and went I'm bored.
0: <laughs> yeah. I got a sappy
2: text from Miranda today like, I missed you guys. <laughs> like, you never get sappy. Who are you? Guys, I'm stuck at home with five people that
1: drive me nuts. That's fair. At least three of the five. I'm one of the five, so I can't say I drive myself nuts, <laughs> but I, eventually it'll get to that point, I'm sure. So stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll
2: talk to you next week. Keep, keep your, your speed, speed up. up. Please like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Podcast, and on Twitter at HardLandingsPod. Also, subscribe and leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you're using to
1: listen.
0: If you want to see photos and sources for this episode, please visit us at HardLandingsPodcast.com, where you can also leave us feedback and ask questions.
1: This episode was researched and written by Nick and Christy.
0: Our theme song was written by Miranda and performed by all three of us, plus Leo.
2: And our logo is by Naomi, and our social media is coordinated by Sonora.
0: Catch you next time.